I just turned 19 years old and I was living on my best friend's couch. And once again, I was washing dishes. I was making around 750 an hour. And we had a neighbor, his name was Jordan. He lived in the apartment across from us and he was a telemarketer. And uh, he told me that for every appointment he set that sold, he made $150. And I was like, man, I got to learn more about this. I'd have to wash a lot of dishes in order to make $150 at uh, $750 an hour. So I had like this old 1988 Lincoln Town car that I paid $500 for. And I would drive him to work every day to give him a ride and uh, ask for a job in telemarketing. Uh, I, I had to show up three times, but they finally gave me um, a job in telemarketing. It was a construction company and we made 400 calls a day on an auto dialer, setting appointments for walk-in bathtubs and energy uh, efficient windows. And so that's how I really got my start in sales was just good old fashioned, um, you know, cold calling. Landing a great job opportunity is sometimes very challenging. Breaking into tech and getting hired as a sales rep can be even harder. When I was applying to my first sales jobs, I also struggled with the unknown. What to expect, what the tech industry was like, and how do I break in? After years of being an SDR myself, I've decided to build something I wish I had in the beginning. My name is Stefan, and in the SDR Hire podcast, I interview successful SDRs and salespeople who share their stories straight from the trenches. Learn how they got their first job offers, how they succeed every day in their roles, and what makes them stand out in their organizations. We all have what it takes. We just need someone to remind us of the opportunity and give us a better chance for success. Let's get your next SDR gig. Hey, welcome back to the SDR Hire podcast. I'm your host, Stefan, and, and if this is your first episode, this is a place where you can learn from top producing sales development representatives and salespeople what it's like working in tech sales, how do you break in, what do companies look for, and how to succeed as an SDR all for free. And today I'm talking with Brandon Clother, an enterprise account executive at a company called Asana. Brandon started out as a seller for a construction company. On the verge of being completely broke, he took his chances with tech sales, broke in as an SDR back in 2013. Following a top performing year, he got hired as an account executive at 21 and has been dominating the world of tech sales ever since. At year 28, he's made more than $1.5 million doing what he does best, selling software. Brandon, super awesome to have you on board. Stefan, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, man. What an intro. I'm all fired up just hearing that <laughs> intro. So thank you so much. Glad you like it. Um, let's just kick things off with your, you know, initial background. I think I think it would be a, an awesome perspective to just hear. You know, you kind of really started from the bottom. Um, what did that look like, and you know how you came across tech sales? Absolutely. So um, I actually graduated high school, and I knew that I really didn't want to go to college. I was never very good in school. I actually barely graduated high school. And so I ended up moving to Hawaii on an island called Maui for a year. And I had basically three or four jobs, just washing dishes and bussing tables and partying on the beach and just having a lot of fun as an 18-year-old kid. But I realized that I want to do something more with my life. So I actually moved back to my hometown of Chico, California, probably when I was on the verge of turning 19 or had just turned 19 years old. And I was living on my best friend's couch. And once again, I was washing dishes. And back then I was making around seven, uh, seven fifty an hour. And we had a neighbor, his name was Jordan. He lived in the apartment across from us and he was a telemarketer. And uh, he told me that for every appointment he set that sold, he made $150. And I was like, man, I got to learn more about this. I'd have to wash a lot of dishes in order to make $150 at uh, 750 an hour. So I had like this old 1988 Lincoln town car that I paid $500 for. And I would drive him to work every day to give him a ride and uh, ask for a job in telemarketing. Uh, I, I had to show up three times, but they finally gave me um, a job in telemarketing. So that was my first ever job. Yeah, like you said, it was a construction company and we called, uh, we made 400 calls a day on an auto dialer, setting appointments for walk-in bathtubs and energy uh, efficient windows. And so that's how I really got my start in sales was just good old fashioned, um, you know, cold calling. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a grind, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. It was mentally exhausting. I remember after the first day, almost crying. It was just, 
really mentally exhausting, not the best work environment. And at the time I hated it, but I really had no idea what it was setting me up for. And I will say it helped me develop the foundational skill of being able to pick up the phone and develop the grit and mindset of what it uh, takes to be successful. So at the time I hated it, but looking back, it's probably the best thing that ever could have happened to me. Yeah, I think kind of things work that way in life in general. You know, things that you hate ended up being at least the biggest lessons, if not the most valuable, uh, you know, things that happened to us. But um, you said that you went there three times. So basically they, they sent you back home a couple of times. Yeah, they didn't want to hire me. Eventually they gave in and they hired me to be a telemarketer. <laughs> so it seems like everything uh, you know, I've got in the sales world, I've had to fight scratch and claw for, and that was no different. But thank God that I did because I wouldn't be on this podcast today with you <laughs> had I not That's continued true. to show up. That's true. By the way, like, okay, so you got that telemarketing job. How long did that last? And what was the next step? So I think that your next role was uh, tech sales. Yeah. So I want to say I did that around seven to nine months, somewhere in that time frame. And I knew that if I wanted to continue to progress my uh, career in sales, I had to advance. And so I actually went on Craigslist and I found this small tech startup called Coffee Table. And they were actually a digital catalog retailer. So they would take you know traditional catalogs like LL Bean and Eddie Bauer and Nordstrom, and they would put them on a digital application. And we had 150,000 monthly active users. And then we would just collect an affiliate commission from there. So mm-hmm. that is uh, my first role in tech sales. And that really changed the game for me because I went from just you know blanketing phone calls to homeowners to now, you know, sending emails, conducting discovery calls, setting appointments with VPs of marketing, um, directors of e-commerce, so on and so forth. And I actually met my first uh, couple of mentors. Uh, One was a CEO, Andrew March, and the other one was the director of sales, Holly Pettipiece. Um, And we worked hard, you know, we'd work eight, 10, 12 hours a day, I learned how to be a professional. Um, like I said, I learned how to run discovery calls, negotiate contracts with C-level executives. And this is still all at, I want to say, age 19 or 20 with no college degree. So it really worked out beautifully because that mentality of being able to pick up the phone um, obviously was foundational. And now I just really had to fine-tune my skills around sending emails and negotiating contracts and um, all of those things that I just mentioned. That's right. And I'm pretty sure it beats seven fifty an hour. <laughs> yeah, I actually got a big raise on that one. I think I got up to 10 or $11 an hour there. And uh, I, uh, I was pretty stoked about it. I remember trying to negotiate a raise to $14 an hour and it was like pulling teeth. But uh, um, yeah, you got to you know. try. Yeah. And it was really just, you know, one thing I will say it was really just about the experience. That was an invaluable experience. Um, yeah. All of the things that I learned set me up to ultimately earn a lot more money. So I just chased the money and left for, you know, another job, making a few more dollars an hour. Um, I probably wouldn't be where I am today, but the experience and the knowledge and the mentorship that I got from the individuals that worked there, worked there was invaluable to me. Yeah, I can just imagine. Um, it seems like you were there for about a year as a BDR, or at least uh, an early form of a BDR compared to what BDRs are today, right? Yeah. So I was doing a lot of outbound prospecting. Eventually, I was allowed to negotiate contracts and run the discovery calls, so on and so forth. And then um, from there, I got my first, uh, I would say, big boy job in software sales down at a company called SmartZip Analytics in uh, Pleasanton, California. So the Silicon Valley, if you will. Gotcha. So, and that, that is like, how did, how did that transition happen? Did you apply? Were you headhunted? What did that look like? You know, every single role that I've had um, has come from a reference or a referral. And so I think it's really important to build your brand wherever you go, because you don't really know who's watching or the connections that you're forming, which will help expedite and compound over the course of your career. So Holly Pettipi, she was actually the director of sales at the time and one of the individuals who hired me. And she moved down to the Silicon Valley to get that job at SmartZip Analytics. And she told uh, the management there like, hey, this kid's only 20 years old, but he gets after it. He really knows how to sell. You should give him a chance. So they called me on a Monday. Um, I drove down on a Friday and I had the same exact situation. I actually interviewed from eight 
to five. Uh, so I got there at eight o'clock in the morning and I w- was about to leave at 5 PM and they go, Hey, Brandon, you know, we've thought about it. We think you'd be a really good fit, but we just need to have a few more internal conversations and get back to you. And I just said, Hey, look, you know, I've been here all day. I woke up at 4am in the morning to drive four hours to be here through Bay area traffic. I know I'd be a great fit for this role. Um, I'd really appreciate you making me an offer else. I just don't know if it's going to be a good fit. And so they said, Okay. Uh, and then he came back about 15 minutes later and with Jonathan McGowan and, uh, he made me an offer. I want to say it was like 35,000 or $40,000 base salary. And I was ecstatic. Uh, I signed it instantly. And then, um, I started a week later and I was, you know, 20 years old, an account executive at the 42nd fastest growing software company at the world. And that's really what started to change my life. Well, so, so much to kind of take in. Uh, it says here you basically it took you less than a, than half a year to get to the number one spot uh, out of all sales reps at the company. Like, did you guys have any SDRs at the moment or were you all like full cycle AEs? Yeah, we, were, we did not have any SDRs. We were full cycle AEs and we sold an analytics and CRM solution to real estate agents and mortgage brokers. And so that experience, like I said, um, from making all those cold calls for the past year and a half before I got to SmartZip, really, I was able to cash in all of that experience at SmartZip Analytics. So one thing that I knew is that, hey, maybe some of these salespeople are going to be better than me because they've been doing it for decades and I'm younger, but I know that I'm going to set more appointments and do more demos. And if I set more appointments and do more demos, I'm going to close more deals and they're not going to be able to stop me. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's what I did. You know, I would just call, uh, you know, ferociously. I would network really well. They gave me Northern New Jersey, which was a, everyone said a tough territory nobody wanted. Um, and I really just turned it into an absolute gold mine through sheer effort um, and sheer activity. And all of that effort and all that activity, all of the time I was doing those calls and doing those demos, I was just putting in the reps and getting better and better. So yes, I started in October of 2014, May of 2015. I was the number one rep out of 50 reps. I want to say I sold around $137,000 um, in ACV. And that was the exact same week I turned 21 years old. So, uh, it was, it was pretty fun. That was another big advantage. Everybody would go out and get drunk after and have happy hours. Right. And I would just stay in the office and make calls cause I was old enough to go to the bars yet. So <laughs> that was another big advantage. It's not enough. Like you had any choice, <laughs> right? Not like I had any choice. That's insane. Amazing, dude. Like, that's really cool. Um, I mean, to have such success at such an early age, like, I can't even like, I, I don't, I'm not even going to start what I was doing at 21. Dude. <laughs> Honestly. Um, uh, well, that's, that's really huge. And so you were there for like four and a half years, almost five years, crushing it like there before we jump into the next uh, part of your career, you mentioned something that stood uh, stood out, which is that you were networking. Um, so I'm kind of trying to wrap my, around, my mind around it because today what networking means is basically having conversations with folks on LinkedIn without trying to directly sell to them or, you know, going going out there on the field and having coffees and lunch and whatever. But what, what were you doing um, to network? Like we're talking 2014, like that's way be- before COVID time. Like were you out there face-to-face with folks? Like what did that networking actually look like? So I think it's twofold, right? There's networking internally and networking externally. And the first place I started was networking internally. And so at the time, SmartZip wasn't a huge company. We were all in the office working together on the sales floor. And so I think the best network effect I had was just being on the phone all day long, doing demo after demo. We had a software with flat screen TVs where every time you close the deal, your, your name would pop up. It was called Hoopla. Um, and my name was just constantly up there over and over and over again. So everybody in the office knew who I was from the customer success managers to obviously the executives, um, all of the salespeople, so on and so forth. And um, we were all working really hard together. So a lot of really good friends that I have to this day, I met at that job. 
Um, and one of the individuals who worked there, his name was Joseph Reagan. He actually left to go and get a job at Salesforce after working with me there for four or five years. So if it wasn't for me showing up consistently every day, you know, treating others with respect, putting in the work and coming with the production, who knows if I ever would have um, had the opportunity to work at Salesforce. So that's really how I network internally. And then externally, you know, I, I would fly to Northern New Jersey a lot. I'd fly into my territory. I would meet with real estate agents. Um, my first ever business trip, actually, I was still, uh, 20 years old and I was in Northern New Jersey and, uh, I walked into an office and I did a hundred K in revenue, um, in a, in a broker's office that day. And I actually went back to my rental car and started crying. So I did a lot, you know, it was just such a whirlwind too. I mean, that day I made $17,000 alone in 2014 and I just couldn't believe it. So I did a lot. Um, it's really all I had, right? I was hungry. I was desperate to succeed. I was willing to outwork anybody. And I think my clients felt that coming through the phone that not, not only would I do anything to make sure that I was successful, more importantly, I would do anything to make sure that they were successful. And once I, you know, got that in action, it was just referral after referral, 100K month after 100K month, and really things just, you know, started to take off for me. Hey there, I wanted to let you in on a couple of additional resources available other than the podcast and the social media content. So I recently started a newsletter where I break down the best pieces of advice from the podcast about getting hired, how to be a top performing sales rep, into actionable nuggets that you can apply literally as soon as you read them. And in addition, if you're currently looking for an SDR role, you can fill out a form to let me know, and I'll do my best to help put you in front of tech companies hiring for SDRs. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I can imagine that happening very easily. Uh, so you mentioned your friend going over to Salesforce. So after four and a half years, I can assume, you know, you kind of started thinking about like what's next, where, like, how do you keep growing? Because you seem like that kind of a guy. Um, and I guess you, you kind of, you know, follow the trail and, uh, how did that look like? Yeah. So once again, it was just a referral. So, um, he had left to go to Salesforce to be a sales manager and he was actually starting his own sales team and he really wanted me on his team. So he actually gave me a call and said, you know, Hey, Brandon, I'd really love to have you. I'm not sure if we can get you in because Salesforce does require a college degree, which I obviously didn't have. But I had the work experience. So why don't you, why don't we get you in for an interview? So I, I studied really hard for the interview, practiced my presentation over and over and over again. And my interview was at the Salesforce Tower. I think it had just opened early 2019. Um, and when I was actually um, on my way to the interview in the elevator, I met the co-CEO of Salesforce at the time, Keith Block, which was like insane. So he was like, why are you here? I'm like, you know, I'm interviewing for an AE role. So I kind of knew that I was going to get the job just because the universe uh, had my back, if you will. So I yeah. walked in, absolutely crushed the interview. There was one manager, I won't say his name, we're actually really good friends now, who adamantly did not want to hire me because I did not have a college degree. Again, even after five years of high performance, but I did get the role. I think the second within the second month, I was the number two salesperson. Um, and that next year I was number one in the business. I went on to go to president's club, spent five days in, you know, a luxury resort with my girlfriend. And once again, built an amazing brand of people uh, who knew me at Salesforce, knew what I was about, knew that I was a top performer. And once again, that is ultimately what led me to my next role as an enterprise account executive at Asana. So everywhere that I went, I gave full effort and did whatever I had to succeed. And the next opportunity was always bred from somebody that saw my work ethic, believing in me and willing to say, Hey, I really like this guy. I know he's going to succeed. We should uh, give him a chance. I love how you used your, let's say lack of that traditional, um, schooling experience and turned it into your own strength because basically like Unfortunately, people don't get hired because they don't have a degree, uh, even in sales, even to this day, people don't get hired just because of that. And I, I feel like you, like that, that is though a part of your personality, but you went, you kept going one step further every time um, and just 
constantly creating that feel that you are just an outstanding overperformer that will always deliver no matter what with that extremely well-versed, um, how should I call it, like uh, um, consistency in delivering. And so it, it, it really sounds like you, you took what you had and you did literally the most out of it and it paid like exponentially. A hundred percent. I really think that's so important, right? You could be at a role where you're not making a lot, a lot of money and you don't really see it going anywhere, but that person might leave the company and go to a really big company. And if you weren't showing up consistently and putting the work in, then they're not going to put their name on you as a referral because you've shown your true colors. And so people are always watching. And so every single opportunity you have, you have to maximize that. And that'll ultimately build um, on another, right? If you're constantly messing around in the office, you're taking hour long lunch break or you know two hour long lunch breaks, you're not putting in the work, people will notice that too. And just how your career can compound in the positive direction, it can also compound in the negative direction. So no matter where I was, I put in the effort and made sure that I maintained my personal brand, maintained my success, and people knew what I was about. Definitely. Uh, but this reminds me of a very popular topic today. And I'm not saying this in a condescending way, uh, which is work-life balance. And some people just have the drive to work more than others. Um, and they sometimes get shunned upon. Is that the correct way of saying it? Um, uh, from from people who just don't want to put in as many hours and my from my perspective it just doesn't matter like do whatever works for you and you'll get to where you want to get but you know how has it been for you i mean it sounds like you never had that feeling of like oh no i'm working too much or um you know it, it sounds like you really enjoyed every step of the way has it ever uh, have you ever felt burnt out or like it's too much I mean, there's been times, but I was chasing and I'm continuing to chase my dream. And there's a lot of energy and a lot of power in that. And so work really just comes naturally to me, right? I wanted to get up early. I wanted to put in the reps. I wanted to be um, number one, but absolutely. I worked way too much in the beginning of my career because I wanted to get into the position that I am today. And I paid the price. You know, I was a little bit overweight. I wasn't spending as much time with my friends and family. Um, I wasn't connected spiritually. Um, and I maybe, you know, didn't have the same experiences as some people in their twenties do, which is lots of travel and partying and things like that. Cause I was so focused on growing my career. So I'm 28 now, as I've gotten older, I've really learned to prioritize, prioritize all those things, right? Mm -hmm. So going to the gym, learning how to get your work done in eight or nine hours, um, getting connected spiritually, taking care of your body, spending time on the weekends with my girlfriend and learning how to work more efficiently with the hours that I do have. And ultimately I'm, you know, it's really helped my production. So I do think that, yes, you know, I probably did not have too much work-life balance. I did pay the price for it, but as I've gotten a little bit older, I've learned to practice those things and they've really made a huge difference. So, um, I think it, you know, it's a little bit different for everybody. We all, you know, are going to prioritize, what is important to us in different aspects of our life. And for me early on, I was willing to sacrifice a little bit of that work-life balance to get to where I'm at today. And now I'm prioritizing a little bit more of the, you know, you know personal health, uh, personal health uh, more than I am just, you know, working 10 or 12 hours a day. Yep. Yep. That, that's kind of what I wanted to hear because uh, for me, it, it was even more, let's say extreme. I never had a goal. I just knew I had to work to learn to be better at whatever I was trying to, to be better at. And and today it kind of got different. So today I found my rhythm uh, when I feel like I'm kind of going overboard. I just kind of take a step back, uh, enjoy a few more hours of like relaxing and, and, and doing stuff that kind of energize me and then just going back at it. But uh, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting topic for the audience because I think there is a cons constant battle between should we work like, you know, quiet quitting eight hours and just just stop doing everything or do we just grind ourselves to the ground until we achieve our goals? And I think that you 
you know, even though you kind of sacrificed a little bit your, you know, earlier stages of your 20s and like maybe put your health into a bit of jeopardy. But, you know, I, I think like you've found uh, that balance that everybody's kind of talking about, even though it's very um, attuned to what you uh, did and to like your own personality uh, more than more than compared to what society expects us but um, uh, I'm glad I'm glad you shared it with us yeah absolutely I think you know if you show up and really work for eight hours a day and I mean really put in the work put your phone away have time blocks uh, do your prospecting do your follow-up not be on you know slack all day and doing these you know tasks that really aren't um, generating revenue then you can be extremely successful. I think where you can fall into a little bit of pitfall is thinking that you're being successful and thinking that you're working, um, you know, really hard because you're working long hours. Those hours just aren't impactful. So if I had to go back in time, I really just would have made sure everything that I did was intentional and impactful. Um, and I found I'm even more productive today working less because I, because I do that. And because I take care of myself outside of work better, that's going to translate to more results and better calls and better service to my customers and my colleagues and all that good stuff. Yep. That's really awesome. Uh, real quick. I'm curious about your ICP and your in general, like your uh, sales process at Salesforce. So who you were selling into, who was your target persona and like, what was the ACV size? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I worked in the healthcare and life sciences division and keep in mind, I started in 2019 and uh, worked through the pandemic. So in 2020, it was absolutely insane with the amount of business that we were doing because, you know, mental health crisis, everything was moving to a virtual payers and providers had to um, create portals and do everything through, um, you know, zoom and telehealth visits. So I primarily sold to um, payers, providers, uh, med tech and medical device companies. And our personas were generally uh, folks in the C-suite that were looking to drive real business transformation through the use of the Salesforce software we had like 50 to 60 different products. So we could really sell into anybody from, you know, marketing to analytics to the chief, you know, digital transformation officer. It really just depended on, you know, what they were looking to do in the business and where we could drive the most impact. So that's, what's really great about Salesforce, right? Is you have the opportunity to kind of really solve key business problems through the software you sell in any part of the business. So it really just varied on what they were looking to solve for. But I would say, you know, I'd probably worked with pretty much all parts of the business from IT to finance, to analytics, to marketing, to customer success, to sales. I mean, we really had a solution for everything. Yeah. I was just thinking how actually difficult that is because um, you still have to be targeted. You still have to know who you're talking to and know what fits their persona, which is then kind of 50 solutions for like 50 different yeah. types of people so, so it's kind of uh, all over the place I, I bet that was that was uh, hard at least at the beginning it was really hard at the beginning i would actually take my notes do my discovery calls and then i would go back to my solution engineer and be like okay like what are we presenting here what are we trying to sell so i was good at getting the business problems understanding the business value but understanding the product market fit took me a little bit uh, for sure yeah yeah i can imagine um okay so you were uh, you were at Salesforce up until February this year, and then you jumped ship to uh, Asana. So obviously that has probably been another uh, referral. <laughs> I can I can guess it is. Um, so what did that transition look like? And one more thing, maybe before you even answer the transition part, is um, folks usually like to go a path of like you know going into management after you know you know uh, getting into into the manager role uh, at some point but you seem to keep being in the in the in the sales role in the account executive role um so what's the deal there like is it is it just uh, a longer term plan or do you have something specific in mind with with being an ae yeah i mean Obviously, you know, I'd love to run a sales team one day and be a VP of sales, but I really wanted to, and I really want to become the best possible salesperson that I can be at every single level, right? I mean, that's been a big goal of mine from telemarketing to SMB to working in mid-market and now into enterprise. 
Um, I love to sell. I love connecting with clients. I love aligning my account team to solve really big problems for my customers. And it's just something that I'm truly passionate and I care about. And have none of those opportunities have really presented themselves. So I'm sure at some point um, I'll explore that. But right now I'm really just focused on, you know, becoming the best that I can be, um, you know, maximizing growth in all of these roles. And I'm sure, you know, the rest will naturally take care of itself. But uh, yeah, I'm really passionate about selling, right? Uh, I think managing a team is a totally different skill, skill set. And it's a lot of different type of work that comes with that. And so right now, I've, like I said, just been focused on producing as much amount of revenue and providing the best service possible to my customers. Hey everyone, I started SDR Hire in the first place to help as many of you as I can to land your next job, become better at sales, and just help you propel your career. So if you're finding value in this content and you know somebody who will benefit from it, please share it with them. Tag them in a post, send them via text, share it wherever you share stuff with your community. As always, all of this is completely free and is here to help everyone succeed. So your recommendation goes a long way. I appreciate you and let's get back to the show. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, cool. Um, well, in that case, like what did the transition look like, uh, from Salesforce to Asana and for, for our audience, maybe you can tell us what Asana, uh, does, although it's a pretty popular product, probably similar to Salesforce as well. Yeah. So I think this is a really interesting one. It didn't happen quite as organically, but there was a lot of it that was organic in nature. So, um, I actually made a post on LinkedIn that shared my journey of kind of what I've told you of, you know, how I was, you know, as a telemarketer and how I worked my way up. And now I'm doing really well at Salesforce. And that post actually got, I think, 20,000 impressions on LinkedIn and like 200 people liked it or something like that. It was just crazy. And because of that one post, I ended up getting three different recruiters from three big time companies reaching out to me uh, for enterprise account executive roles. So the first one was Microsoft. The second one was MongoDB. And the third one was Asana. So um, these were very big OTEs, very big raises, lots of stock involved in these deals. And this is when the, the hiring market was still white hot uh, towards the end of last year. And people were clamoring to get their hands on um, good talent. And so one of my friends from Salesforce, his name was Ryan. Uh, he'd worked with me um, there at Salesforce and he had went over to um, Asana to be a strategic enterprise account executive as well. So I reached out to him. I went through the process with Microsoft. I went through the process with MongoDB. Um, and ultimately I decided to go with Asana because I trusted Ryan. Um, I liked the mission and I really, really liked the hiring manager who I was going to be working for. So I accepted that offer. I want to say in November, but I negotiated a start date of February 15th because I wanted the time to properly close out the year um, at Salesforce, which was super important to me and to leave on a good note. And so Ryan had a good relationship with the hiring manager. I still think to this day, um, that's what helped me really get the best offer possible because he, he was willing to vouch for me and say, Hey, I work with Brandon. He's a great guy and he's a really good salesperson. Mm. Uh, Tom Slocum actually, uh, like is a very, uh, is very vocal about having somebody on the inside, so to speak. Uh, in other words, having a champion who's gonna, uh, promote you in some way during the hiring process and it obviously does um, pay a lot meaning like you know you had that kind of let's call it support or uh, uh, vouching from from a former colleague who and like as long as it's it's genuine I think it's extremely good because like mm, that person knows your value and is just going to increase their own net network or rather the worth of their network inside the company by bringing you on, then the recruiter is going to have more faith in what you're going to bring on board. And then like, uh, and then you get in a better position to hire, uh, hire to, to negotiate a higher salary. And then like, it, it's a, I think it's a, a, a very cool circle of um, just growth, I guess, um, and, and opportunity for for those specific situations um i'm curious about were there like was that the only thing that tipped in favor of asana meaning like you had your friend there and you just knew the story from the inside was it anything specific that kind of pushed you away from other uh potential opportunities with uh microsoft and uh mongo 
Yeah. So when I evaluate career choices, I kind of evaluate them similar to how you would evaluate a stock, right? So sometimes you can go to a, a company like Microsoft where it might be more stable. There might be things more, in, more guaranteed. It might be a little bit less risk, but the upside wasn't um, there. Or, you know, Asana, it's like a hot, you know, a fast growing, you know, tech stock type of company where it was a lot smaller, a lot more opportunity to work with bigger accounts and a lot more opportunity to really make an impact on the business. So it was really tough for me because Microsoft is such a great company. Um, but I ultimately went with Asana because I think the opportunity to work, like I said, with the hiring manager, um, the opportunity to work on some really, really big um, accounts, and just overall the way the compensation plan was set up was a lot more favorable than um, some other companies as well. So that's ultimately why I went to go to Asana. And um, looking back, you know, I wouldn't change anything. I think mm -hmm. um, there is times where it's challenging, right? Because we're newer to the enterprise space, where maybe somewhere like Microsoft things are more established, but I think I've also grown and learned a lot more than maybe I would have at a, a much more established company, which I just came from at Salesforce. Right? I think at the time Salesforce had, I think 50 or 60,000 employees. So Asana is right around 2,500. So in my mind, Asana was a much smaller company compared to Salesforce. Exactly. Exactly. Extremely smaller. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I, I love asking this question simply because People have different criteria when evaluating companies. I've had mostly SDRs here who have very interesting ways of looking at companies, but this is the first. And obviously, you've been interviewing with very large companies that are actually, you can actually look at them as if they were a stock you were investing in, especially like, I don't know if, if Mongo is a, is a publicly traded company, but obviously Microsoft is. Uh, what about Asana? Yes, they are all publicly traded. Okay, there we go. So uh, you were, you could actually <laughs> look at all three as if you were investing in them because in a sense you were, because you were getting equity, you were getting like, and uh, what were you looking at? Like, were you looking at the potential multiple of the equity that you would get today uh, compared to like something in, in the next four years or like, what was your thought process? My thought process was where can I go that I'm genuinely going to enjoy working there where I can grow the most as a person, right? That has kind of been my formula. Uh, sometimes I've had a choice. I've, I haven't always had a choice. This was kind of the first one where I had a real choice, which wasn't just like a, a referral, if you will. And so I wanted to go somewhere where I could be a part of building something really special from the ground up and be able to have my fingerprints all over it. And so Ultimately, that's why I decided to go to Asana. And yes, I did think that there um, was and continues to be a lot more growth upside where maybe some of those other companies had already seen that massive growth, right? So this was my opportunity to get in a little bit earlier, um, a little bit sooner, and hopefully benefit from you know some of that that growth in the long run. Gotcha. So what? how do you see your next, let's say, three, four years um, as as part of Asana, like just going at it, keeping keep doing what you're doing. Like, what does that look like for you in your mind? Yeah, I I see myself uh, focusing on breaking into really high value new logo accounts through outbound prospecting and really doing whatever I can to break into logos that really move the needle for the business. You know, that's something that I'm passionate about. I think I have the skills skill set for that. I think you need to have an account management skill set. I think you need to have a sales, um, a sales skill set, but I really enjoy the hunt. I really enjoy the chase and I really enjoy trying to move the needle with those really big accounts. So over the next three to four years, as our company progresses, as our product progresses, that's kind of where um, I ultimately see myself as, like I said, going into and breaking into these really big um, enterprise companies and turning them into Asana customers. Nice. Sounds like a fun mission to be on. Absolutely. It's not easy, but it's fun. Yo, I bet. I bet. Cool. So, okay, you are a very tenured account executive, and it's been a, a, a while since you were a BDR, but you've been prospecting, you've been in the trenches for all of this time. What is something that you would send as a message to anybody trying to break in and land an STR job or just get a better BDR uh, opportunity for themselves? 
Yeah, I would just say it's resilience and mindset and really just be willing to take any opportunity that you can to get in. You can't really afford to be too picky. Some people have built a really big network and they can, but any way you can get your foot in the door, the experience that you have on your resume is ultimately going to be way more valuable than the pay. So that would be my advice. And then I think the second piece of advice was when you're looking to break into an SDR role, you're essentially demonstrating your sales skills. So calling the hiring manager, doing your research, coming with well put together emails, looking professional, showing up on time, demonstrating knowledge of their business and how you see yourself uniquely qualified to add value to them. Those are all things that are really important that I think people take for granted. So on your, on your interviews, dress up, you know, be on time. Uh, do your research, have a perspective on why you're uniquely qualified to help their business. Do your research on the company, do your research on the individual that you're, um, you know, that's hiring you reach out to other account executives, understand what their experiences, other areas that they're struggling, and then come prepared to demonstrate you've done all that research on your call. I think the last thing that's super important is in every stage of the interview process, you have to close, right? Um, this is a sales role. So you say, Hey, you know, we've had a great conversation today. I'm really confident I'd be a good fit to work at your company. Is there anything holding you back from recommending me to the next stage in the process? So if you don't close on your actual sales interview, why would they hire you to be a salesperson? And I think a lot of people can forget that at times. This is probably the one of the most golden pieces uh, of advice we had on the show. And it's uh, one thing that I would add to this, but this is complete value. Like, uh, and, and this is something that I was inspired by through your kind of behavior and what you've uh, told you've been doing, which is really delivering wherever you show up, delivering to the best of your ability. And I think that sometimes people who apply uh, to any uh, type of, ST of of sales role, but predominantly SDRs, they don't do that. And what I mean by that is they miss on uh, showing up every time. For example, if you have a call with a recruiter, show up. If you have a call with a man, even though you're, you've got another job or you like show up every time, be respectful. And uh, for example, what you what you said, like dress up. It really makes a, an enormous difference when you just, you know, own the space that you are currently in, in right? So um, amazing piece of advice there. Oh, yeah. So one, one thing that I did want to ask you, uh, what, like, if you were getting into a role right now, you just had, for example, we just had an interview um, and you need to understand what are you, what you are getting yourself into. What, what are some of the questions that you would ask a hiring manager? Yeah, I think the first and most important thing I would do is I would actually go and I would not only ask the hiring manager, because if they want you, they're really going to tell you what you want to hear for the most part. Um, they're not going to always lay out everything, but I would probably go and ask really good questions uh, to the AEs and reach out to them on LinkedIn. They'll usually take a call with you about like, what's it like to work there? How many people are hitting quota? You know, are you glad that you took the opportunity to be there? What separates the top performers from the bottom performers? Um, you know, are the account books like fair and balanced, things like that. I would ask all of those same questions to the hiring manager, but I would also ask those same questions to all of the AEs. Then the other thing that I would seek to understand is what does the path to promotion look like, right? Uh, maybe ask them to give you an example of somebody who was an SDR that's now an um, AE and what they did to ultimately um, get that role. And then ask them, hey, once they become an AE role or an AE in a role like a, you know, an SMB or a mid-market role, give me another story of somebody who started as an SDR role and worked their way up to like an enterprise AE or a mid-market AE and what did they do to get there? So I think being really curious is important. I also think there is this thing in interviewing where you know, the person that's interviewing thinks that like, you know, it's all about them and you should sell them on why you should get the role where turn it back on them a little bit. This is your career. Every single job you take, you're generally going to invest one to three to five to 10 years at. And it's really important that you're making the right decision. One question I like to ask is, Hey, I have a really good job at Salesforce. I'm doing extremely well. 
I just made President's Club. In your perspective, why should I take a risk of leaving this job to come and work at your company, right? And then it really gets them selling you and it gets, it gets, it gives you a better perspective on, you know, what the role looks like. So those are kind of all of the different things that I've done or that I've leveraged. It's always going to be really hard. You're never going to get all the information. Um, but I think by reaching out to multiple people, asking those tough questions, not only does it give you that information, it also demonstrates your, you know, demonstrates the ability to show that you're a really good salesperson, you know, how to ask questions and you know how to get, you know, the answers that are really important. Yeah, um, something that I struggled with uh, earlier in my career, and I hear a lot of folks going through as well, is like being scared to ask those questions. Like, how would you, how would you go over that? You know, resent or uh, how should I put it? Like, um, they're being scared to ask those questions because they're, you know, they're not they're not very easy to ask, and like you don't know, like if you don't own them, own them, you might get gobbled up by by the the person being asked yeah just practice you know i think it's a pretty simple answer you know that there's lots of things in life where <laughs> we're we're fearful of and really the only solution is to take take action but one thing that can help you is practicing those questions and so what i like to do in my interviews is write out like five to ten questions i mean you usually don't get a chance to ask um yeah all of them, but I like to have them just in case. And then I will just sit there and just like I would a script, I will just recite those questions until I feel really comfortable in the delivery um, of them. And then I'll think of potential objections they might say, or how to dig in even deeper as well. So write out your questions, have them in front of you, practice them. So you feel confident delivering them when you do get on the phone or you get on the interview. There we go. It almost sounds like a the script for a cold call or a discovery session with a with a prospect, which basically it is, right? That's exactly what it is. You know, a lot of things in life are just sales, right? So a lot of you know, don't <laughs> overthink it. You're selling them, and they're selling you on why you should join their company, and that's exact. You know, just a sales process. When they look at it in the CRM, <laughs> recruiters they move you along just like they would a deal, right? Is he is he qualified? Okay, let's move him on to the next stage. Are we in the offer stage? Are we in the negotiation stage? So at the end of the day, it's still just a business transaction. There we go. Amazing. Okay, uh, let's dive into the rapid questions, and then we can wrap up. You ready? Ooh, rapid fire. All right. Let's see how I do here. Cool. So what would you say is the best sales learning resource? The best sales learning resource is finding the top producers that are already in your company, becoming friends with them and spending as much time with them as you can as possible. I love it. What is the best SDR skill in your mind or rather sales skill in your mind? Uh, being able to create a point of view or perspective on how your product can benefit their business and not just the features of the product. And then being able to pick up the phone and not just uh, rely on email sequences. There we go. Awesome. Um, a LinkedIn question. So what is the best, one of the best sales creators to follow in your mind? One of the best sales creators to follow. Hmm. That's a really good uh, question. I would go with Salman uh, at Asana. I work with him there and I think he's posting a, a lot of really great content. Another one that I would call out is Ian Koniak. Uh, he's actually my personal sales coach and he has a lot of great advice as well. So I'd say Salman and Ian are both great follows on LinkedIn. I love it. Uh, can you send me their links after the, after the chat? Absolutely. Awesome. Um, cool. What is your, okay. I think I know the answer to this, but what is your favorite outreach channel? My favorite outreach channel is the phone. <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome um well in that case what is your favorite or go-to cold call opener yeah so when i make cold calls i just state who i am the reason that i'm calling um and the business value of my product and then a time to actually speak so it might sound like this hi my name is brandon clauser i'm an enterprise account executive at asana the reason i'm calling is to set up an appointment with you uh, we help companies increase productivity about by about 43% on average and reduce busy work. And I'd like to talk to you more about what that looks like and how it works. Do you have time to speak with me on Tuesday at 3 p.m. or would 3.30 p.m. be better? So um, when I cold call, I'm interrupting somebody's day. So I just want to I want to let them know who I am, the reason that I'm calling, the value that my solution provides, and then make it really easy for them to say yes or no. 
architecture. What do you think about those um, permission-based openers that have become popular over the, the past couple of years? Yeah, you know, I think those work for a lot of people, but I also think it um, is a, an inconvenience to the prospect and it gives them the opportunity to take control of the conversation. I think by just simply opening with who you are, the reason for your call, the value that you provide, and then giving them a time um, is a lot more respectful to the customer because you're ultimately interrupting their day. So mm -hmm. I think different things work differently for more uh, for different people. For me, I'm not personally a fan of the permission-based openers, but I know there is a lot of people that see success with those. Gotcha. What is your uh, favorite call to action? My favorite call to action. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess I don't have a, a really good one. I like to just ask them, when are they free to speak? Or, you know, when are they free to schedule a call? Um, that's kind of my, my, my call to action, I'd say. Gotcha. Uh, and the final one, what is your favorite tech sales uh, acronym? My favorite tech sales acronym? <laughs> uh, I would say corporate bro. Sales are dope. Never, ever <laughs> stop selling. Sadness. Uh, awesome. I had um, uh, Chris Ciccone. He he had he said the same thing. This it was hilarious. Awesome. Okay, okay. This was a blast. Um, I wish we could speak more, or maybe we can. But um, uh, that's it for the for this episode. Where can people follow you? Yeah, that's a great question. So you can follow me on LinkedIn at Brandon Klosser, but you can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram at TikTok, and my uh, handle is at Brandon J. Klosser, and I post a lot of great content on all of those different channels, so please feel free to follow along. I love it. We're going to post it uh, down below the video on all platforms. So this has been an amazing pleasure, Brandon. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. This was awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. For sure, man. Thank you for tuning in to the SDR Hire podcast the only podcast exclusively focused on SDRs, where successful salespeople share about their hiring stories and sales adventures straight from the trenches. If you found this useful, go ahead and share it with someone else you know is trying to break into tech or land their next SDR gig. You can find SDR Hire on all major podcast platforms as well as YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and catch you in the next episode.